www.ashbusiness.com. Business inspiration for architects, engineers, and contractors. Hello, I'm Philip Wiley, and my guest today is Matt Handel, author of Proposal Development Secrets, who helps construction companies prepare bids and pr- proposals. Matt, please tell us about your career background and how you came to specialise in construction industry bids and proposals. Well, Phil, um, I started out my career as a marketing coordinator for a uh, mechanical electrical plumbing designer out of New York City. And I spent a lot of late nights putting proposals together. And and then that's really basically how I got into the proposal business. Um, there, were, there were a couple of things that couple of key moments in, I guess, in my career that really affected me and, and wanted me to help other people with proposals. The, the first one was I was sitting in my boss's office. He was the senior vice president. And we were talking about what I would consider the worst proposal ever submitted. <laughs> so this proposal was, was so bad that um, the client's name was wrong. <laughs> we were the client wanted like class A office space or class B office space and our proposal said something to the extent of you know we're going to provide you the nicest pharmaceutical lab you've ever seen and what was sh- shocking about this proposal and it was not it wasn't it wasn't insignificant it was like a you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars of design fee. But what was shocking was that we actually won it. Really? That's amazing. <laughs> and I was lamenting to my boss, I was saying, you know, if the quality of what I do, the quality of our proposals doesn't affect the ultimate outcome, then what's the point of my job? But but wasn't that because due to lack of competition? Well, what he said was, well, Matt, don't worry about that because that guy owed me a favor. Okay. So that, you know, that really affected me. And I'm, I was thinking at that point, like, well, you know, what's the point of this? What's the point of, of working on these proposals and submitting these proposals? Because it's so funny because in, in our world, and I, I live in the United States, and I'm sure all over, all over the world, you know, there are millions of dollars being won, in some cases, I know billions of dollars. I know friends of mine who who, who submitted on, on billion projects that were worth billions of dollars mm. <laughs> for their firms mm. uh, on, over these proposals. And it's such a, a big business. So that's one time where, where it really caught my attention that these there was something about these proposals. Another time, years later, I was, uh, I had a, a female, a, a woman that was working for me uh, at my job at the construction consulting firm that I work at now. And she was just out of college. And there was a moment where she realized that, hey, this proposal business isn't always 100% on the up and up. There was like that moment and I saw her, her heart drop from her chest down to her feet. Hmm. And I felt like 
I felt like absolute dirt. I was like, ah, I felt like I can't believe this person's, you know, idea of fairness or whatever is, is being, is being shattered here <laughs> in, in front of me. That, so that really affected me too. And, and, and this kind of whole idea of the proposals and, you know, what really, um, why do people make the decisions they make with proposals, you know, give it to this firm versus another firm. So, so the third and probably the, the biggest uh, factor in my career was I stumbled upon some academic research by uh, a professor out of uh, Arizona State University. And this research was all about how we make decisions, how humans make decisions. Mm. And once I really got into that research, you know, into the research of social psychology and learning like, okay, mm. how do people really make decisions? Everything kind of became clear to me. Can, can you share okay, with yeah, us I, what, what, what these main criteria are? Well, how much time do we have? Well, uh, <laughs> can, can you can you just summarize what what the what the main criteria are? I mean, I I, I can I can guess that probably um, things such as um, rapport uh, rapport between the parties would have a lot to do with it, and and also perhaps the presentation skills would would have a ridiculously high um, influence on the outcome but maybe you can be a little bit more specific yeah you would be completely wrong really yeah so uh, <laughs> there, there there's what's called the, the the weapons of influence and these are six factors that that have been proven across the the most circumstances uh, across different uh, societies to have the most influence on our decisions or our, on our behavior. Mm. So one of them is called, um, I'm, I'm going to forget him now, uh, but I talked about them all the time, but, but, uh, one of them is called reciprocation. So mm. our whole, our whole world is based on essentially reciprocation. So if I, uh, give you money, you, you know, you'll provide a service for me for, or I'll give you five bucks and you'll give me a, a candy bar because you're working behind the counter of the, of the local shop. Right. Uh, so everything is uh, give and take, you know, and we have these words for people who uh, we give to, but they don't give back. Mm. At least in the United States, we do. You know, you might. They're uh, called takers, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they might call, you know, like they might be called uh, 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 moochers. In the United States, you know, oh, really? Richard, Richard. yeah, so they're uh, certainly so they're, not the, the opposite of givers, anyway. Yeah, so so we have ingrained in us this idea that okay, if someone gives me something, I have to give them something back. It's a, that's the principle of reciprocation. Mm. So um, so that's so that's one one major factor, and that that's the factor that okay, this guy owed me a favor. The, the, my boss said this guy owed me a favor. Now, this was a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of design work. So, you know, 
what could my boss done that that was uh, worth a couple hundred thousand dollars of design fee? You know, uh, maybe kill the guy's wife or something. But in reality, he probably did something very small because in reciprocation, it's not a one-to-one scenario. So I might do something small for you. And if you feel indebted to me, since I did something for you, you, you're not going to like that feeling. You're trying to going to try to get rid of that feeling and you'll keep trying to get rid of that feeling until you, until you feel you've done enough. So I can keep asking you for stuff until you get, till you're sure you're rid of that feeling. So I might do something a little for you and you might give me hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of, of money <laughs> or mm. worth of work. Mm. So that's, you know, that's one principle it's called reciprocation. Um, and I can go into the different studies about it or, or yada, yada. But I think the most compelling thing about that is that it's not a one-to-one scenario. Yeah. Um, I think we'd better move on, Matt. Um, why do people struggle with bids and proposals and what are the most common complaints that you hear? Well, I hear different complaints from different people. So my audience, the people that I, that I speak to the most are the people that are what I would call coordinating the proposal efforts. So they're not engineers or architects or, or construction managers. Mm. They are typically people with marketing or English degrees mm. uh, or business degrees that are Co- coordinating the effort of putting these proposals together. And sometimes these proposals are uh, just something that you staple together. Sometimes they're in binders. I've heard stories of sometimes they're getting airlifted by helicopter <laughs> to the client. <laughs> so these could be very massive efforts. And the most common complaint you hear from, from those people are that they don't get what they need from the technical staff in a timely manner. Mm -hmm. They don't, uh, a lot of times there's an issue with what we call a go, no go decision that there's a decision. Are we going to go after this proposal? Because you could be spending thousands of dollars easily to put a proposal together. Mm. So you have to make a business decision of, okay, well, am I going to spend this $1,000 to see if I can get a chance of winning this $200,000? Mm. So it's almost like a gamble. And mm. people don't like to make those decisions, so they just kind of sit on them sometimes. And the, the longer you sit on them, the less time you have to put the proposals together. It kind of crunches the schedule. So but, I would say that those are the most common complaints from the people that, that – I often speak to. Okay. Well, would you, would, but surely um, all of the people contributing to the proposals would be on the payroll anyway. So, so there, it, what, where does this cost of $1,000 actually come from? That's, that's, a, good, that's, that's a good question. May, so, maybe the um, helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a, that's, a, that's a good question. So that's assuming that – so let's just say you work for me, Phil. Mm. All right. And uh, I, I'm going to pay you $10 an hour. Mm. Right. And I'm going to charge you at $100 an hour. Mm-hmm. So each hour you work, 
you're going to make $10 each hour that you work. I'm going to make $90. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, I have to you know, provide you with an office and an internet and all that. So, I mean, I'm not really going to make $90, you know, but so each hour you're not working on something that I could bill a client, you know, a hundred dollars on, um, I'm not just losing, I'm not just paying you, I'm paying you $10 and I'm not making my $90. Mm. So it's, it, so think about, you know, how many hours it's going to take you and other people to put proposals together all while you're not billing and not making me money. I'm losing money and you're costing me money. Mm-hmm. So it's straight up expense. And when you're, when you're working for me and I'm billing you out, I'm at least making a profit. I'm, I'm making money off that, you know, that's business. But when I'm putting proposals together, I'm not really conducting my business. I'm just doing kind of an overhead function. Yeah. Okay. So, so in a sense, it depends on whether these staff that are involved in writing the proposal um, would have anything else uh, remunerative for the company to do during that period of time, right? Yeah, absolutely. So if, if you absolutely have no work whatsoever mm. and everybody's sitting there playing mm. on Facebook or whatever, mm. then it, it, it costs you you no more money to put proposals together other than the cost of the paper and the printing and mm. sending stuff out, you know. Mm. Mm. But what, and Matt, what are the most common mistakes that construction companies make when they're submitting their bids and proposals? In my experience, the most common mistake is what we call compliance. So, I don't know how much experience Phil you have with proposals. So, in the in the United States, there's a lot of times a lot of rules and uh, regulations related to proposals. So, I might submit a proposal for a million dollar project, and in this proposal, it will say, "You must use uh, a twelve point font." You, you know what a font is, right? Yeah, yeah. Twelve point. Yeah. Okay. And let's just say I submit this proposal and I use a 10-point font. Well, I'll submit this and then they'll look at it and they'll, they'll say, this is a great proposal, but it, it, it is non-compliant. Hmm. You're using the wrong font. So you're not, so you don't get the million dollar or the million dollar project. That's what is commonly referred to as non-compliance. So there's the non-compliance that will get you kicked out of a proposal competition there's another kind of non-compliance that I think is uh, a little bit more dangerous, and that's the kind that will get you just simply ignored. Mm. So the example I use is I put out a request for proposal to Phil, mm. and, I, and I say, uh, Phil, I need someone to rebuild my house. Um, and in my house, under my house, lives uh, a, f- a family of groundhogs. <laughs> so let me know uh, what you're going to do with these groundhogs during the construction. Mm. So you submit your proposal and you say, well, Matt, I'm going to build you this house. And here's, I'm, here's how I'm going to do it. And here's how much it's going to cost. But you do not mention the groundhogs whatsoever. Mm. So I look at your proposal and I'm like, well, 
I specifically asked about the groundhogs. Yeah. Arnie's proposal said that Arnie lives right next to a groundhog farm. Mm. And he's going to take the groundhogs and put them mm. on the farm where they're going to live happy lives. Mm. And you guys have both the same price, pretty much. So I'm going to go with Arnie because because mm. <laughs> mm. he answered my question. You know, mm. he answered, he told me what he was going to do about the situation that I had mm. or this problem that I had. So that's, I think, the more uh, insidious uh, compliance issue that, that firms have. And this is the most common that firms have. You'd be surprised that you'll, right. you'll see some, uh, an RFP that says, you know, tell us why you are the most qualified firm for this project. Mm. And they'll respond, we thoroughly understand your RFP. Hmm. And you're like, what? Okay. Seriously? That's that's your answer? So I think that's the most common problem. Okay. If a firm has time to improve just one aspect of their proposals, what should that be, Matt? So if you just had time to, to, to do one thing, hmm. and I would say my, my million-dollar piece of advice is is – answering the single most important question in any proposal competition. Mm. And that question is simply this. What will the client miss out on if they choose somebody else? Mm -hmm. What will they miss out on if they choose somebody else? Mm. Mm. And that's a very hard, hard question to answer. But if you can answer that question, you can really set yourself apart. Okay. Very good. How can construction managers contact you, Matt, or buy your book, or even download some of the proposal-related goodies? Well, uh, yeah, I put together uh, a document that outlines some of my, I guess, tips and tricks. Uh, it, it, it's called 10 Incredible Insights into creating winning proposals and you can get that at help everybody every day.com slash Arnie a a R N I. Uh, that's because the guy who, you know, the guy I know from AEC business is his, his name, Arnie and I, mm -hmm. I know now, uh, Phil as mm -hmm. well, mm -hmm. two good friends of mine, but, uh, <laughs> but help everybody every day.com slash Arnie. Okay. A A R N I. So that so that's uh that's where you can get that. My my website is helpeverybodyeveryday.com. You know, you could always go to Amazon.com. I think in any, any country that you're in, really, uh, and just search for proposal development secrets and you'll find my book. Mm -hmm. And it's all about how to put proposals together better mm -hmm. and uh in a more convincing way. Okay. And uh, if you want to contact me smoke signals is typically a good way i don't know if you guys do that in thailand do you guys do the smoke signals it's more of an american no thing, what what's Indian that thing smoke signals yeah you guys have that no no okay no. so you, you you get you create a campfire mm. and then you put a blanket over that and you just wave the blanket and google it it's uh it's an american thing okay the smoke signals are, would be a good way to get a hold of me Okay. That, yeah, don't email me. I get too many emails. Okay. Okay. 
Well, thanks very much for sharing with us, Matt Handel. My name is Philip Wiley, interviewing on behalf of AECBusiness.com. AEC-Business.com, business inspiration for architects, engineers, and contractors.